What's going on, everybody? Happy Thanksgiving and welcome inside to yet another edition of the Open Run Podcast presented to you by War Media. My name is Gabriel Wilkins and I'm joined by a guy who really don't need no introduction to the War Media platform, but this is his first time on the Open Run Podcast, a guy that I haven't had a chance to talk some hoops with in a long time since the conference finals, I believe, against Golden State and Dallas in the Western Conference. But I know he knows his stuff as always. Bulls inside guy, doing big things with the bigs, host of the Rebuild a Bull podcast with Matt Gentile. Been checking out your work, man. You was talking with Zach Levine the other night as he tied uh, Ben Gordon for second all-time on the three-point list in Bulls history. My man, none other than Drew Stevens. How you doing? Man, I'm I'm doing good, man. Just happy to be back in this space with space with you, man. Like like you said, it's been a minute. Um, matter yes, of fact, sir. we went through a whole name change to the show since the last time I've been on, man. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, just happy to be here with you, man. I appreciate the intro. <laughs> oh, no doubt, no doubt. Well, I gotta ask you though before we get into, of course, you know the hometown team, the Chicago Bulls. What are a few things around the league that you've seen thus far? that's caught your eyes, at least over the last several days, and just throughout the early part of the season. As most of these teams are, I want to say, at least 16 games in to start the year. We haven't reached that quarter mark of the season yet, but we're close. Um, what, what stood out to you thus far? I think the first thing that comes to my mind um, is Ben Simmons and the way he's been playing since uh, he came back off, I believe it was a knee injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally got him back in the starting lineup. The last game they played, I believe it was um, maybe Sunday against the Grizzlies. Mm-hmm. Uh, just been playing well, man. Starting at center, three straight games. He's had uh, a season high. So I think he went from like 11 to 15 to 22 against the Grizzlies on Sunday. Um, had eight rebounds and five assists as well. Um, you take into consideration that the, the first six games that he played with Brooklyn, he only had six like six points and, and six shot attempts. He was averaging um, during that time span. So for him to kind of get going in the manner that he does, as well as getting Kyrie back into the fold, it makes that Brooklyn team, you know, it, it gives them a chance to kind of cook and see what they got together uh, with those three. Um, we all know the turmoil that, <laughs> that that team, that franchise has gone through. It seems like ever since uh, Durant and, and Kyrie got there, but um, just kind of focusing back in on Ben, not even just the basketball, man, just the fact that he is going to be in Philadelphia tonight playing against his, his old squad. Yeah, as we record this episode. <laughs> yeah, and, and just to hear his comments pregame uh, or in the, in the days leading up to the game about, um, you know, being back in Philly and, and him getting the questions about the fans and just, just the way he reacted to the questions. It was cool to see him not be so defensive and kind of, take things and stride and, and laugh things off just from a, a human element. Um, I really kind of enjoy seeing where he is right now, irrespective of what we've seen on the court um, recently. Then you go into, I think, you know, I definitely got to mention the the Giannis and the ladder gate situation <laughs> which <laughs> took place in Philly. It was just, it was a, it was an odd situation, man. And I really, being that that ladder, thank God, didn't end up, hitting anybody or injuring anybody yeah I really, I really can't fault Giannis too much man it, it kind of seemed a little silly what was going on there especially with Montrez Harrell 
um, you know, taking his ball away from him and talking about he wants to get shots up and the arena workers, you know, uh, trying to take whatever electronic system was down off the off the backboard. Like, as the, as the story goes, they said that Giannis has this routine where, you know, he wants to hit 10 free throws in a row. And mm-hmm. at that point, when Harold took his ball, he was like at seven or eight. So then he goes through that whole little scenario, goes back to the locker room, grabs two more balls, and those guys bring out that ladder. And he's just like, man, I'm, I just want to hit like two, three more shots and y'all can have it. So they just, you know, let let the man get his shots in, man. Like, what what are y'all doing, man? Just just give him five, whatever, how many more minutes he needs to 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 put those two or three more shots in, man. Let let him just let him cook. Let him do what he got to do. Y'all already got the win. Joel Embiid already tried to knock the man ribs through his back with a flavor of fat. <laughs> ended up ended up falling on the ground himself, which is kind of funny. But um, those two things for sure. And then. Um, my man, Laurie Marketing <laughs> and the Utah Jazz, Ooh. they they have gotten off to uh, number one in the West at 12 and seven. Uh, they lost to the Knicks recently, but this is a team that's beaten Portland twice, Memphis twice, Denver, Minnesota, New Orleans, Atlanta, Phoenix. Like um, they really come out the gates looking like a team that has no interest in tanking whatsoever, but We'll see what happens with Danny Ainge wants to do leading up to this this trade deadline, and if he um, ends up trying to turn some of these 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 players who are playing maybe above their heads. I know we're gonna have a, a short discussion about um, possible uh, most improved players, and I think marketing deserves to be in a discussion. But we'll see if they end up getting flipped. I don't think Danny Ainge has made any mention of wanting to do that, but we all know what's said in front of the public eyes, not always necessarily what's going on behind closed doors, but I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, man. I got, hopefully gave you a lot to digest. Um, oh, you you you, de- you definitely did. And I, I, I get what you were saying in regards to the Giannis point as well. I've been in arenas after games, talked to some guys in the league, you know, chilling and stuff like that. And I'm used to seeing guys get shots up after a game, especially after a night like he had from the free throw line. If I'm not mistaken, he was like 4 or 15 from the free throw line that night, and that played a big role in Milwaukee's collapse late after I believe they had a double-digit lead that they let go at the hands of Joel Embiid and the 76ers who went without Tyrese Maxey in the final minutes of that game due to him suffering a fractured foot in that in, in that in that win, rather. I I, I get that. I, I understand that. And it, it was it was a bad look from an optics perspective, but I can understand where he's coming from. I don't think he meant any harm. And fortunately, no one was hurt. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's a competitor to the highest degree. And that's a guy that's just trying to perfect his craft and maximize his prime to the best degree possible. Your point on Ben Simmons, you you, you spot on. You know, I, I feel like he's trying to wrap himself up leading into tonight's game against Philadelphia. And that's what he's been doing. He's been more aggressive. He's attacking the rim. And when he's attacking the rim and forcing defenses to collapse inside the paint, what that does is that opens up shots for the likes of Yuta Watanabe, who's leading the lead in three-point field goal percentage right now and is shooting the hell out the basketball. He's shooting over 50% from three-point range, if I if I stand correct, based on the stats that I saw a couple of days ago. Looking like a guy that's going to be in a three-point contest and defensively has given him a huge spark. Other guys around him, like Joe Harris, he's helped them get going. Kevin Durant, it opens up so much more for them, and it's going to open up more for him as well because when he's getting to that line and stripe, even though he's not the best free-throw shooter, 
that's what you want to see. If he improves from the free throw line, I've always said, I don't see why he can't be a guy that easily puts up 20 points a game and is capable of leading the league in assists when he has the, the right personnel around him and, and the shooters, which he has in Brooklyn. And I think as time goes along, that group is going to gel and mesh well together. One thing I do like that Brooklyn is doing under Jock Vaughn is they're showing more commitment and a renewed focus to the defensive end. That's a huge plus. But I, yeah, you, you made some, some great points that, for me to ponder upon. But I know for me, three things that stood out for me, I keep it you know brief and short and sweet, is the backcourt situation in Atlanta with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. It's not the most conventional pairing, but they found a way to make it work. I like the way that Nate McMillan is finding a way to stagger these guys' minutes with one another. I believe they currently sit either fifth or sixth in the West, I mean in the East rather, with like a 10 and seven record. They've been very competitive. You know, they've been winning some close ball games, pulled out a big time win this past weekend against the Toronto Raptors at home. Trey Young has always been a guy that we know is a pick and roll maestro, ball dominant guard. But what we're starting to see is him be a catch and shoot guy, knockdown option, even though he can direct the offense. And the thing that impresses me the most with this duo, not only are they winning, but they're on pace to be, I believe, the first backcourt duo since 2000 to finish in the top 10 in total assists. So that, that's a big deal. You know, anytime you, you have a parent like that, you wonder how they're going to make it work. And most people wouldn't label them as traditional point guards, but yet Nate McMillan and his coaching staff is finding a way to, to make sure that it works. And DeJounte Murray has had fewer touches, but has been more efficient with his touches. Same can be said with Trey Young, who had a 33-12 and 12 game in that win against Toronto. So that stood out to me. Another player who's been playing fairly well is Kyle Kuzma in Washington, a guy who was a catch-and-shoot option playing beside LeBron James. We've always known that he's a, a, a quality three-level scorer when he has it going on a nightly basis, but we're finally seeing him be free and direct the offense a little bit. Granted, he does have issues sometimes where he can become a bit turnover prone, but when you're putting up 28 and 10 like he did the other night against Charlotte, and you're shooting 50% from three-point land and playing on a Washington squad that has seen a, a, a resurgence and Roy Hachimura, Bradley Beals back healthy, Corey Kisper's been shooting the ball well. They have a lot of young talent on that team, and if Kyle Kuzma could continue to play at the level that he has been as of late for this Washington squad, depending on the move that they make during the trade deadline, th this could be a team that, you know, is within the thick of the Eastern Conference playoff picture. You never know. Chris Das Porzingis has been playing fairly well also in the minutes that he's received out in Washington under West Ansel Jr. under the helm. Yeah, man. Um, no doubt I'm um... – I'm digging what you what you're saying there, especially with the the Trey Young and Dejounte Murray backcourt. I think there was some some questions about you know how that fit would be in much the same way that people were, you know, some people weren't quite as sure about the Donovan Mitchell pairing with um, Darius Garland out in Cleveland about how that yeah. small backcourt would would fare and um, you know how the defense was going to be. But I think you and I we had we had maybe conversed over Twitter or maybe Facebook and we we had the same kind of viewpoint where it was, you know, you take that gamble on having such a small backcourt that isn't known to be 
um, you know, any world beaters on defense because you have guys behind them and Jared Allen and, and Evan Mobley that can that can D up, you know. Right. Thing, the thing with Cleveland, I just take this thing too far away from the topic that we were on, but the thing with Cleveland is going to be Isaac Okoro, you know, is not – while he can defend at a high level, he hasn't always shown to be a knockdown shooter, which is something that you need on that team when you got two guys that can that can get them play make and create the way that Garland and, and Mitchell can. So have to see what happens there. Um, if I believe in, in Dean Wade kind of getting a good share of minutes, just because, yeah, yeah. So and, and, and Karis Levert's injury has also opened up some minutes for him. He was actually starting at, at one point in time in the lineup when Darius Garland went down and he had a game against New York where he hit about six triples or so. He's been their three and D specialist and piece that they utilize on nights when guys are either hurt in the starting lineup or been a, a vital part off the bench. And it's kind of cut into a playing time due to his inability to shoot the three ball, as you alluded to. Yeah, man. Um, just to pitch it back to, to the, the Hawks, like they, I had more questions about that fit, I think, than I did with, with Cleveland's fit. And to your point, you know, those guys have, uh, Murray and Young have come out and, and kind of thrown cold water on, on all the doubters and naysayers who thought that that thing might not work out. And I think it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how Trey Young continues to play off the ball, um, mm-hmm. catch, and shoot, catch and shoot situations. He's kind of in that ilk of a, of a Steph Curry, you know, it's hard to to separate those two just because of their size and, and the way they shoot the ball. Obviously, Steph Curry's in a whole nother stratosphere with that, but um, just seeing how McMillan continues to move the offense along and and use those two guys off of each other, especially in um, situations where you can get Trey Young coming off screens and just how his game looks moving forward. Um, how much better can he be? coming off the ball when he doesn't have to do so much for Atlanta's offense. Exactly. Um, but they can be pretty dangerous in, in the playoffs. You know, it's only November. We'll see how things go. I think as Bulls fans can attest, it's easy to kind of get lost in the sauce early on, man, and things change at the, at the drop of a hat, man. So, uh, you know, we're, we're just we're just now kind of seeing what's, what's, what's going to happen um, in the days moving forward. But um, some teams are looking pretty good. Yeah, the league is looking more competitive than it ever has. And we definitely going to get into that in this special edition episode of Friendsgiving as we're going to have many guests come through, chop it up with us and talk some hoops over the next hour or so. But I want to get started, first and foremost, with the hometown team, the Chicago Bulls, man. Been <laughs> a rough stretch. They've lost four out of their last five games, dropping both contests this past week with one of them coming at the hands of a Zionless New Orleans Pelican squad. C.J. McCollum and Brandon Ingram led the way out New Orleans, helped the Pelicans get a 14-point win over the Bulls, 124-110. to I believe that was last Wednesday. And, of course, the game that had everybody across the city talking on Friday night. Bulls were down by as many as 19 in the third quarter to the Orlando Magic, find a way to claw back into the game, take the lead within the last 30 seconds of regulation. But in spite of an impressive performance from DeMar DeRozan, who scored a game high 41 points on the night, 
in Javante Green's efforts off the bench. It was not enough. Nikola Vucevic missed a pair of free throws when the Bulls had a two-point lead that would open up the door for Jalen Suggs to come down the court and hit a step-back triple to silence the many fans on Madison Street at the United Center. The Magic took home a 108-107 to win. Jalen Suggs had 20 points on 7-for-16 shooting from the field, while Zach Levine struggled um, through the majority of the night and was not even on the floor within the final minutes of the outing, scoring just four points on one of 14 shooting from the field without hitting one of his, or any rather, of his five three-point attempts on the night. This team is 20 of offensive efficiency. 28 and three-pointers made. You, you, you see a, a lot of stretches on a night-to-night basis where this team just struggles to get off the good starts. Now, granted, they did take care of business and rebound from that loss to the Magic with a 14-point win over the Boston Celtics, who came into the city as one of the hottest teams in the league. I believe they won a nine-game winning streak, one of the best offenses in the league, but they were rather cold. But just overall, what's your thoughts on this team, man, through 17 games in now? they 7 and 10. I know you at a lot of these games. You're talking to a lot of these guys. What what, what vibes are you getting just watching this team and even from the locker room when you're able to, you know, talk with some of these guys after the games? Well, I mean, internally, I I think that, um, you know, DeMar DeRozan specifically, he sees – kind of these early season struggles uh, as them kind of going through the fire and them, you know, heading toward a, a, a place where they're going to be better for it um, later on in the season, as opposed to last season when they got off to such a high start, um, they were the talk of the NBA, you know, then injuries hit and the ship sunk rather quickly um, after that. But because of the schedule, uh, especially the way that it, it started out for them, um, four back-to-backs, like in the first, I don't know, five weeks of the season or so. Um, the way that those games were, not even just the back-to-backs, just the lack of rest that they were getting in between games on top of um, the situation with Zach Levine and his knee and um, him not being able to play up what was the first two games of the season. Um, yeah. And, Miami and also at uh, Washington, like he, the Rosen has stated a couple of times that, um, you know, it's allowed them to see who they are, you know, the team they they want to be, and to kind of gain the lessons of this early season process and these early season struggles um, and use that as a way to kind of, you know, pinch off the worst parts of this team and, and learn and move forward and be better for it um, as the season, season goes on. On the outside, Looking in, I I don't know. I don't really know what to make of this team just yet. Um, I think before the season started, me and and Matt Gentile, we we went, you know, game by game and predicted, you know, what we thought this team would be record-wise by the end of the season. I had them down, I think, for 42 wins. Um, Okay. So I think it's – they have to be – they have to play in such a way – well, let me rather say there's, there's such a, a slim margin for error with this team just because they don't shoot a lot of threes. Um, they're not hitting as many threes as they were last year either. So just on the whole math equation, 
situation where they're giving up a lot of threes and teams are coming out like game busters against them because um, it seems like they're always in rotations defensively. Um, not even necessarily with pick and roll actions, or I should say a lot of blame gets put on Nikola Vucevic, but to me it seems like it's the guys behind him. So when he's stepping yeah. up helping, it's that that second group, like the help the helper, help the helper kind of situation that's not happening on a consistent basis. Um, the effort level that we saw with this team during that four-game win streak was a little alarming. You know, it's still only November, but um, that just kind of adds to why it's been, for me, somewhat difficult to pin this team down um, in terms of, of what it is. I think that as much as they want to move away from having to rely on DeMar DeRozan so often, because of their defense, because of their inconsistency with getting stops and getting out on the break and getting easy buckets, it forces them into situations where they have to kind of rely on him to get buckets, uh, to, to pull them back into games, um, to keep things close, to kind of stem the tie when when some of these teams are, are coming back against them. A little bit of last night when, when the Celtics made a late run, um, I believe it was in the start of that fourth quarter, I want to say Malcolm Brogdon um, kind of went crazy and um, yeah. sparked like an 8-0 run coming out the gates. And, um, you know, DeMar, to his credit, uh, was able to, like I said, kind of stem the tide for the team and, and keep the, the Celtics at bay. Zach Levine scored nine points in the fourth quarter. Uh, so that was good to see, but I, I think at the at the end of the day, man, it's just not that they have to play perfect because no team is going to play perfect, but that effort has to be there. Like if that effort's not there, I mean they're, they're sunk. They don't have a Giannis Antetokounmpo or a Joel Embiid, um, a Luka Doncic or a Steph Curry that's going to rescue them. Uh, you know, like like the top tier superstars in this league can. You know, they they need guys like Javante Green and Alex Caruso and the energy that they bring, they feed off of that. They need those types of things because the leaders in that on that team, or at least the big three, um, the big money guys with Vucevic and Levine and, and Rosen, they're not like, you know, energizer bunnies in terms of, you know, rah-rah in your face. They kind of, you know, steady. And that's, that's cool too, but... Um, it's just not gonna. It's not gonna be conducive to them, probably seeing themselves host a playoff series. But at the same time, you know, if they can get into that playing range, which you know, at forty-two wins, like I predicted, I don't know if that's. <laughs> I don't know. They might fall into that. This into that lower playing range, that that nine ten spot. Um, it's it's just it's just they gotta they gotta uphill climb a little bit man but it was good to see them get that win last night that was important for them breaking that four game losing streak going into a stretch of games where they're playing something like seven teams um with winning records in their next nine games coming up here yeah. starting with milwaukee they got a uh, six game road trip coming up so to kind of break up that that four game losing streak was good to see but just the effort that they brought to the table um was much needed man it was very much needed and I'm glad you brought up that road trip because they do kick off a road trip, as you mentioned, against Milwaukee. They play the Thunder on Friday and the Jazz next Monday, followed by the Warriors and the Kings 
And I believe they play the Suns on their road trip as well because the Bulls won't be back home until December the 7th against Washington, if, I, if I'm correct, based on the schedule that I see in front of me. Just, I, I agree with you on the effort level thing. That, that definitely has to be important. And when you talk about the, the defense, I see a lot of breakdowns defensively. And as you brought up with Vucevic, when he comes to help, no one is helping the helper. That's definitely true because there were so many times in the game against Denver when they got annihilated by them by 23 points a week ago, I looked at that backline defense and no one was there. Michael Porter Jr. is able to cut back door. Aaron Gordon's able to cut back door, getting easy buckets. And they're very late rotational-wise on shooters. They don't defend the three-point line very well at all. And that's been very problematic. And I think that's what's led to a lot of teams coming into not only the United Center, but when they're on the road as well, just having field days against them and having career best and career high nights. Offensively, they've had opportunities. They're still generating quality looks, but as you said, they must knock down those shots. I've seen Ayo Dosumu as solid as he's been attacking the rim and as confident as he's played in his second season, at times he shows, you know, some apprehension to take some of those shots. Patrick Williams some nights, as great as he was against Boston, taking guys like Jason Tatum one-on-one in isolation, getting to the rim, taking a three-point shot with confidence. On nights when he struggles, he'll have a wide-open shot some nights, and he'll pass it up. And you can't do that. You, you, you can't overpass because what that leads to typically is turnovers and you having to get back on defense and transition and you giving up a bucket. So I, I see a team that, like as you said, the margin for error is very small. And one thing that stood out to me against the win uh, with the win against Boston was that six guys scored in double figures, three of which were the big three in Vooch, Levine with his bounce back performance and DeMar DeRozan. But you also had Patrick Williams step up. Kobe White stepped up. Javante Green was big. Javante Green has been a, a, a vital piece to this team so much so over the last couple of years, some nights I wonder why is he not starting, even though he's undersized and Patrick Williams could give you a lot with his size on the defensive end. It's like this group is so much different when he comes into the ball game. And I don't believe that they come back in the game against Orlando without his play. And he was, he was, he set like the, the entirety of the first half. And, 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 and that's what leads me to ask you is for the next question. Like, what are your thoughts on the starting five? Because when you have a, a team like this that went to the playoffs last year, was in first place for the majority of the first half going into all-star break in the East, struggling like this, what shakeup would you make if you was in Billy Donovan's seat? Because a lot of people do believe that some shakeups might need to be made in, at a time where you really can't afford to lose ground in an ever-tough Eastern Conference. Yeah, um, Billy was asked this question recently, and he kind of put it back on the star saying that, you know, Vucevic and DeRozan and Levine, they, he needs more from them. It's not about what more can he get from Io or Pat or what changes he can make in that starting five. It's about that big three playing better as a big three and, and doing more to help that team get off to better starts. And, um, you know, you know it's, it's, it's not cool when – 
your top three players who are all skewed more offensive than defensive and they can't really get it together offensively, at least not in the ways that we would expect um, three of those guys to be able to do. That being said, because if, if Patrick Williams was continuing continuing to struggle, and I know that he's still a little up and down, if he was continuing to struggle, then I would say, okay, let's let's try to get Javante in that starting lineup. Um, because not only do I think that Javante would get that starting group a much needed shot in the arm, just from an energy standpoint, helping him get out and transition and get easier buckets. I think that it also could do Patrick Williams a good being in that second unit, being able to kind of increase his usage offensively, get the ball in his hands more, play with Goran Dragic, who I think would be a, a, a hell of a um, kind of a leader for him in terms of setting him up and get him, getting him in the right spots offensively. But I think we're still only 17 games in, but it, it would be hard for me to see Donovan playing with that right now. Like Patrick Williams is just starting to kind of look like he's getting more comfortable in that starting group and playing with that big three. I don't know if you want to mess with that right now and bring him back or put him back on the bench and have him readjust to a whole new role. That would be kind of tough, man. Yeah, and to add to your point on Patrick Williams, he's scored double figures three out of his last four games. He's been shooting the ball rather well, especially for three-point land as of late. And you can see him starting to make strides of, of growth and development on the floor. Only reason why I asked that question, though, is, as I said earlier, is because they're getting off to a slow start. And Javante Green has been one of those spark plugs to help this group. But if Billy wasn't to change and switch his starting lineup in regards to having Green start over Pat, would you consider starting Goron over Io? And the reason why I ask that is because we talk about this team being a team that struggles with three-point shooting, and Io has struggled as of late from the three-point line, while Goron Dragic, on the other hand, has been one of the Bulls' most consistent three-point shooters this season, shooting over 40% from downtown. Yeah, man. Um... I think that's a that's a scenario that some some other Bulls fans have, have mentioned as a possibility or something that they wanted to see. I could see it, but it's always this give and take, man. Where it's like sure. okay, you put Dragic in the starting lineup, you lose some defense, um, but then also because he's playing with that big three, how much is the ball going to be in his hands? Um, you kind of you, you're point. making him a spot up shooter now, which I think he's better kind of off the dribble. Um, doing this thing that way, coming off of screens. So I, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing it. Um, but I think that it's, and it goes back to the roster construction. I think it, it comes back to that, just in that there aren't a whole lot of different options available because there's really only one guy who gives you a sufficient amount of offense and defense. And that guy is hurt and on the sidelines. And yeah. <laughs> so no matter what, no matter what Billy Donovan does, there's gonna be a there's gonna be a a, a loss somewhere, man. Um, and it's, it's it's strange because they haven't it's it hasn't been an every game thing. Um, I think before that Denver game, they had gone five or six games uh, 
going into the second quarter where they were they were either leading or tied. So right. I, I, I'm not sure, man. I, I really want to I really want to say that again. It goes back to that big three and the effort that they bring to the table, the intensity, the urgency that they bring to the table. And in the back of my mind, you know, these are three guys who've been in the league for a while now. We kind of know their MO. And if you got to count on them to raise everybody else's energy levels or just a level of intensity and, and desire to play some defense and get stops and help this team get out in transition, it just makes me wonder if that's really going to be sustainable for a long period of time. Like, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the Bulls go as Zach Levine goes. When he shows a certain amount of activity outside of scoring the ball, you know, when he's cutting, when he's playing defense, when he's, you know, just not concerned about his own offense um, and playing with just a, a, a better basketball IQ, I think this team looks different. We don't see it all the time. I think when we do see it, the team plays differently. Um, and then some of that goes into how much of a difference them seeing the ball go in the basket makes for them and, and you know, how their defense kind of takes a hit if their shots fall. And, and Billy Donovan spoke to that as well. You know, you got to be able to not play off of emotion or the last play, as he likes to say. You know, that's very true. He said he he said energy is a choice, which I think that's a bar. Like I'm, I need to put. Oh, that it in. is. I, I heard that he said that after the Denver game. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that definitely. He he wasn't lying when he said that. And that's a league wide trend. I think a lot of teams across the league let their offense impact the way they play energy wise and communicate as well on the defensive end. And I say it a lot of times. This team doesn't talk enough for me. And that's one of my biggest issues with this team defense. I mean, I think that's why you see so many defensive breakdowns. Yeah. But Sam Quinn of CBS Sports put up an article yesterday prior to their evening tilt against the Boston Celtics saying that the Bulls have quickly emerged as the NBA's primary rebuild candidate this season. And it was interesting. I, I don't I don't know if they're there that far. And it's still early in the year. Like, this is a 7-10 team. This is a team that's still within the thick of the play-in picture. A lot can change. A lot can happen. But I thought he brought up some interesting points about how, while Levine being a max player seems to be the one constant guy who will be the face of the franchise for at least the next several years, you have a guy, DeRozan, who's on the second year of his three-year deal. Vucevic is a guy who's on his last year contract-wise playing for a new deal at this time. Lonzo Ball is in the second year of the deal he signed a, 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 a season ago, or off, last offseason, and he's hurt. He hasn't been able to, you know, play dating back to the first half of last year due to his knee injury, having two knee surgeries and so forth. Is this... Is, I, I never looked at this as a championship team. I want to make sure we're clear on this. I didn't. I looked at it as a team that had potential if things went right and if there was a superstar piece. And one thing that Quinn alluded to was that the Bulls don't have a Luka Doncic or Nikola Jokic or a Joel Embiid, like you said earlier. That, that's very true. 
with that said, knowing that we live in an NBA world where if you ain't first, then you last, like Ricky Bobby always would say at Talladega night. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that the window to contend is clo- has closed, or is it too soon to even say so? I guess what does contention mean? Because, like you said, we're not we're not looking at a championship. I team. agree with you on that. So I, I I need I need that word defined for me. I mean, in terms of a play in slash first round exit slash second round hopeful team, I don't think that window is closed by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Yeah, Sam Sam Quinn, the hell of a writer. Uh, I think that piece for now, to me, it was it was an inter- interesting read, but it's more entertainment for me than it is like an actual kind of thought piece in terms of where I'm at with this team right now. Because as, as rough as, as things have looked so far, again, to be seven and ten and have had the schedule that they've had. To have had to play a few games uh, or a handful of games without Zach Levine, with Andre Drummond being out of the lineup at one time, Kobe to White, Kobe White. I don't know that. I don't know that we can start to throw dirt on this team or the direction that Acme wants to take it. You know, I don't. I don't think it's time for that just yet. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the effort level that we saw during that four-game losing streak. Had they come out and been competitive and still been at this 7-10 and 10 record, I don't think people would necessarily be ready to break this thing up or to tank for Victor Wimba and Yama or to write think pieces like Quinn did, which, again, it was a very interesting read, um, interesting perspective. I don't think that would have been written if, if we just wouldn't have seen that effort level jump around so much, um, especially doing that four-game stretch. So, no, nah, I, I don't think it's time to start thinking about selling off pieces or who you can get for who, especially considering this front office's viewpoint on continuity. There's no way, unless things go totally left, that they're going to start to break up this team, it, at least not the major pieces, without first seeing if Lonzo Ball can return, and if he can, what his return means for this team. So this it's not, it's too early to start thinking about, you know, the next phase of, of the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, I, I, I was kind of blown by it. I, I understand. It, it was definitely an interesting think piece, and it, it does make you ponder a lot, especially when you you know that you're watching a team that you don't expect to be in the championship hunt. But the one thing that I found interesting in Quinn's article where he says, like, there are 10 to 12 teams that compete for a championship. I'm not going to say that. I think it's about four at best. Most of the time it's three. Everybody else is just a player at the crap table. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you will consider an Eastern Conference Finals is a is a prize yeah. if you if you're a team like the Bulls on paper who don't really feature a top five or a top ten player in the league right now. Mm-hmm. So when, when when I saw the article, I it made me think, but I, I do think it's a little bit too soon. I understand where he's coming from, and I I do see some guys on this roster who could be stopgap guys, although they have been great stopgap guys like Demar Derozan. 
yes, he's, he's been a hell of a presence here. He brought up an interesting point, too, with the numbers. He said that DeMar shot over 50% from the field in clutch situations last year. And this season thus far, he's only shot 35%, and the Bulls are 0-7 in clutch games, games that the league defines as I have it here, any game time when there are five or fewer minutes left in a game and the scoring margin is within five points or less. That is a that 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 is a stat that concerns me. And I know that's a stat that you bring up a lot on Twitter whenever the Bulls are in a clutch scenario. <laughs> what, 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 what's your thoughts on this team playing in, in, in crunch time, man? Because to me, that's really what's going to determine how far this team could go. And, and that's the next step I believe that this group has to take in order to get to the level of aspirations in which so many fans have across the city of Chicago. Yeah, it's, it's a problem, man. But I, I, I think it's, it's DeMar DeRozan's Superman qualities that we saw him exhibit time and time again last season regressing to the mean. Like, it, it would have been beyond incredible if – he had been to this point able to sustain that level of play in those crunch time moments that he did last year. I think this is a guy who finished a point or two behind Joel Embiid for the most points scored in the clutch last season. And, um, you know, as well as he shoots from mid range, as clutch as he is, as nifty as he is with his footwork, this, you just, it's, it's, it's human nature, man. You're going to fall from from grace, so to speak, for lack of a better phrase, when you are so high, you know what I mean? So I think some of it has to do with, again, this team reliance on him in those type of situations. Some of it has to do with Zach Levine and him still kind of getting his feet under him. Um, and then also just Billy Donovan still kind of figuring out who his closing lineup is going to be made up of, you know? Um, as we talked about earlier, there's always going to be some sort of give and take with who you have in and who you end up taking out. So we've seen him, you know, at times put going Dragic um, in there with the big three, Alex Caruso in there with the big three, Ayo Desumu in there with the big three, Pat Williams in, in late game situations. So I think it's a little combination of a few different things, a couple of which I've, I've you know, just hit on. Um, and it's, it's a problem, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, I think eventually they'll they'll start to to get some wins and and you know kind of get back to um, being more competitive down the stretch of these games. I feel you on that one. I, I want to segue into a discussion about a couple of teams that made a trade with one another during last year's trade deadline that many people were talking about, writing think pieces about, but it appears that it's worked best for both sides is these two franchises currently hold the longest winning streaks across the association and that's the Sacramento Kings and the Indiana Pacers the Kings after getting off to an 0 and 4 start have won 9 out of their last 11 games while the Pacers have won 5 games in a row Kings are currently on a 6 game winning streak what's impressed you getting a chance to watch these teams. I know that they're not heavily featured across the national stage. Kings just got a nationally televised game against Brooklyn last week and put up, I believe, 153 points. Terrence, Terrence Davis was balling out of control. Mm -hmm. 
and, and with an unexpected performance that I don't think anyone saw coming. Based off what you've been able to catch, even just off the highlights or whatever, like what's, what stands out to you about these squads? We know the Kings, they haven't been in the playoffs since 2006. You know, Twitter wasn't even around when they when they was in there. Like, I, you know, our pod was, was still hot. Like, what what you what you think about these two teams, man? I, I think it's exciting, man. Especially for it's got to be for Kings fans. You know, uh, when they drafted uh, Keegan Murray, there was a lot of hype starting to build. Even though there was some, there was some questions about why they took him that soon. Um, you know, going back to the trade last last deadline and them getting some bonus. Um, but I think it's, it's good for the league, man, when, when more teams are putting out a better product, um, have not been able to catch any Kings games yet, uh, honestly, but okay, um, it, it sounds like there are a lot of offense and not a lot of defense, but that can be exciting. Yeah, I could attest to that. It's <laughs> <laughs> somebody who's been watching a lot of Sacramento Kings games. Cause I like watching a lot of late night games dating back to like the DeMarcus Cousins era. They've okay. always been that type of team. But mm-hmm. the, the thing that I'm noticing with this team is, is that they got a ton of depth. And they can kill you on a perimeter on any given night. And the way that they're able to run the offense through DeMontis Sabonis, I believe it's given De'Aaron Fox a, a fresher set of legs to close out games. And I believe that's why we see him currently leading the league in clutch points. And he's shooting well over 50% from the field in, in clutch situations. Had a game winner from half court against the Orlando Magic on the road. That was a big time win that really sparked this group and ignited them. And what I like about them is they got so many weapons. Like Kevin Herter, you have to keep a hand in his face because when he's coming off a dribble handoff, he's ready to fire. And Red Velvet is making it rain. You know, like he's taking about eight threes a night, but he's shooting over 40% from downtown. And I think that's been a huge factor to their success. And they're kind of using Keegan Murray in a manner that's akin to Michael Porter Jr. out in Denver, getting them off of down screens, allowing him to fire. They got they got a lot of depth. Like Sabonis is their center, but then they also got Rashawn Holmes, who they can plug and play a little bit and, and Fox and him could work in a pick and roll and Fox would be the primary ball handler in those situations. And then you have Metu who can also shoot as well. Harrison Barnes, we know he could get a bucket out in isolation. Kevin Durant was talking about this team a great deal on the et cetera's um, with his guy Rodriguez, who he hosts the, the podcast with. And he was just saying like how the scout report really don't do them justice. Like, you really got to be on your A game with them. And Mike Brown has them guys playing. Like, he he brought up a point where he was talking about as soon as they get scored on, Mike, you can literally hear Mike on the floor yelling, get to the corner, get to the corner. Because, like, they 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 trying to get up the threes, man, and, and, and make it rain. And, and that's why they've been able to have so much success. And like that beam is they made it a tradition after every Kings win it to go one center. So, I've been watching a lot of their games because with them having the longest playoff drought in North American sports, it's a big deal that they break it, I feel like, especially in the wake of the what happened in Major League Baseball this year with the Seattle Mariners breaking it after having a 22-year drought, a 21-year playoff drought. So, like, and, and they're getting close to that mark right now. 
So I feel like Sacramento, yeah, they, they got a reason to be excited. And De'Aaron Fox, right, I, I've always been high on him in his game. Malik Monk is a guy that I forgot about as well, who comes off the bench as a six-man and is giving them instant offense as of late. Yeah, they're, they're a team that they do need to improve defensively, and they've cost themselves a lot of games that they could have won due to breakdowns defensively. But the most important thing is that Mike Brown got these guys playing hard, and he seems to have bought a level of stability from Golden State that this team so desperately needed after having so many front office overhauls and player personnel changes over the last several years or so. Yeah, I mean, I really haven't. I don't think anybody, if my memory serves me correctly, man, he spoke to this a little bit. Like, Sacramento hasn't been relevant since Chris Webber and, and Mike Bibby were on the squad. You know what I'm saying? That's hey. a long time ago, man. That's a long yeah. time ago. Um, but I think not for nothing, man. I think that, you know, there's a reason why, as you said, you can hear Mike Brown shouting out, get to the corners, get to the corners, and them, you know, getting the ball out of the net and running up the court because he knows that their strength is not going to be on the defensive side of the ball. So in order to just to stay in games and make things interesting, give themselves a chance to win, they've got to kind of power through and, and run and score on teams and, and get out in transition and do these things that are going to be conducive to winning. But um, the other team you mentioned, the, the Indiana Pacers, which, man, bro, <laughs> Stop me if you if you thought they was gonna be what are the third third seed third fourth seed in the East right now? Are they let me, pull, let me let, let me pull up the numbers for you because I just had the standings up. They've won five games in a row. I believe that they've also won seven. Actually, excuse me, they won eight out of their last ten. They're ten and six. Tyrese Halliburton is averaging twenty and ten. He was recently named the Eastern Conference Player of the Week. He's leading the league and assist right now and he's shooting close to 40 percent from downtown in yeah. a year where he looks like he's on pace to be one of the front runners in the most improved player award which it has a, a boatload of names yeah. in it right now at least yeah. you said he's close to 40 percent shooting from three while his running mate a man that's that's going to give Paulo Bancaro, a run for his money for that rookie of the year, has been in the Matherin. My man is shooting 42% from three yeah. on a, almost six attempts a game, man. I didn't really get to see a lot of him in Arizona. I was able to catch him um, here in Chicago at the United Center when the Bulls played them earlier this season. Uh huh. And I just, I like how he's going about his business. I think he he says something to the, something about, um, there was something he would, some question he was posed about LeBron or just, you know, going up against certain guys in the league who he may have watched growing up. And it's just a no fear. Like, I'm here to get it. Um, you know, I'm not here to, to, to play second fiddle to anybody that you got to respect as, as a, as an onlooker, man. So um, that team has some things going for it. We'll see if, uh, how long uh, Miles Turner is going to stick around with him, you know, trying to get trying, trying to get the Lakers to trade for him and whatnot. What was that like two, three weeks ago? Yeah, on the Wolves pod. Yeah, man. But they 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 have a nice little backcourt. Um as a Bulls fan, it's a it's it's a little bit scary when you think about the backcourt that Indiana has, what Detroit's got over there. You still got Giannis 
in uh, Milwaukee. So that Central Division, man, is, is getting tougher by the draft, man. So uh, it's, it's going to be highly competitive. Whatever direction the Bulls go, if like you and I think, if they're going to stick it out and, and see what they, they can do this season and stick to this idea of continuity, or they take Sam Quinn's approach and, you know, maybe look at trying to rebuild this thing um, again, there's going to be some high-level competition in that in that division with them. I'm glad you brought up the Central Division because me and Josh, my co-host on Open Run, we 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 usually always talk about the, this division because it's deep from a talent standpoint with a lot of promising young talent in spite of the fact that Milwaukee still reigns atop of it. And I, I when I look at Indiana, I see a bright future. And Tyrese Halliburton is cementing himself right now as the face of their franchise. And you talk about Benedict Matherin being rookie of the year. He could be six man of the year right now because he's coming off the bench and he's putting up 20 points in his sleep. Like he's doing exactly what he needs to do. He's bringing instant offense. He's doing it on the ball, off the ball. He he plays with a, with a renewed energy that this team desperately needed. And Aaron Neesmith has also been nice for this team, hitting knockdown threes as well as defensively. He's been a huge help as well on the perimeter. But Tyrese Halliburton has really impressed me a great deal. I got a chance to watch him against Orlando and attacking the big man, Bo Bo, getting in their chest, Mo Bamba. They couldn't stop him from getting to the paint at all, no matter who they put on him, Terrence Ross. And what impressed me the most with him is his ability to look, to, to, to force the defense's hand to collapse and kick it out to his shooters. His vision is, is second to none. He's a tall guy. He's able to look over the top of defenses. And, and, and as a result, he forces their hands a, a lot of times. And it's not hard to see why he's able to lead the league in assists. And I think we really have to pay a lot of attention to him. I know we talked about Shea Gilgis Alexander last week on the show, but it's not every day you see guys in the league averaging 20 points with 10 assists. And, oh, they can shoot the three ball as well. Most guys that are 2010 guys, not three-point shooters that you have to watch out for. Those guys are typically like mid-range caliber guys or guys on the block. He's doing this as a, as a point guard. And I believe that it deserves a, a lot of attention. I think he deserves a lot of praise for it, which he just recently garnered winning player of the week. And I believe he was playing hurt in one of those games. So it just speaks to a testament of who he's become coming out of Iowa State in his third year in the league after being in Sacramento for a couple of years, trying to play besides De'Aaron Fox and an experiment that I think worked, but maybe both of them needed a different, you know, scene in order to go about flourishing in the league long-term. Yeah, I think it was, there was a lot of criticism that they got thrown the Kings way when they made that deal and, and they, they sent Tyrese off um, and not De'Aaron Fox. Um, and then with, with Halliburton, you know, that, that's a guy that same draft as Patrick Williams, some Bulls fans. <laughs> <laughs> when it to make him the, the selection there with that fourth overall pick. Uh, a lot of people were saying that's that's too early of a spot to take Halle Burton. There was there was questions about his three-point jumper, um, his form and whatnot, but you know, I, I'm happy that 
he's doing well for himself because that's a tough situation, man. Being traded so early into your career, yeah, um, that. But going from, you know, the situation that that was around him in 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 Sacramento to going to Indiana, two teams that, you know, are kind of stuck. You know, you could say that the Pacers are in a better situation than Sacramento, but just in terms of the hierarchy of the league and playoff hopes, it's not a whole lot in either city, um, at least coming into this this year. So to see him kind of flourish is 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 good to see. And um, but I think that, you know, as his career and as Patrick Williams' career goes along, I think we may we may continue to hear some rumblings here and there about, man, I wish the Bulls would have traded uh, or drafted Halle Burton. Um, but you never know, man, the direction things go. You know, had they done that, we wouldn't have, the Bulls wouldn't have wound it up with um, who they have in the squad now and Lonzo Ball and knock on wood that his, his knee eventually gets better and we can see him uh, back to full strength sometime soon because, you know, as we see, he makes a big difference for this team. No doubt about it. Got a got another person coming on with us, my co-host for the special edition Friendsgiving episode, Josh Hicks. There you are. What's going on? Josh. Drew! I thought you were gonna make it, man. I'm glad you stayed on, man. I'm glad you stayed on. What's up, everybody? What's up, Gabe? My What's partner, going on? my co-host of this illustrious uh panel and discussion of the show open run i'm glad yes, to be on with all you with all you guys shout out to the producer saw for working all this out with us because lord you know, i'm about to travel in a few days so my schedule has been all all all, all over the place so yeah. thank you for bearing with me as we go through all of this and uh let's get ready to jump into this thing let's, let's for sure we were talking about the pacers and the kings man like what, what's impressed you with these two teams? Like the Pacers are currently on a five-game winning streak. Sacramento Kings on a six-game winning streak. The longest winning streak in the association right now. Red hot after an 0-4 start to the season. Mike Brown got these guys playing some stellar basketball. We know that they are led behind the superb guard play of De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, respectively. What, 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 what's impressed you just catching these teams thus far, even though it's still early in the year. These are the two hottest teams in basketball right now. One of which we knew was going to be a much more improved team in Sacramento, but another one in Indiana who we just knew was lottery bound and destined to be in the victor when Benyama sweepstakes still can be, but right now they're not looking like. Uh, I'm, let's put it this way. I'm glad you give the Sacramento Kings the respect they deserve preseason because I wasn't one it's what it's like it doesn't matter what talent comes through Sacramento at the end of the day they always end up trash so it's like I don't <laughs> so I didn't really put them in the in, in, in the beginning as a team on a pedestal where it's like oh my gosh we gotta look out for this team even though they're they can be competitive we gotta look out for this team that wasn't me so I'm more surprised honestly even though talent wise the Kings have it the fact that they are playing at such a level under Mike Brown, who, depending on Mike Brown's situation is, you may not get the best out of what you can get with that situation from a player's perspective and even coaching perspective. You can tell that this, this go-around Mike Brown, especially being an assistant coach under Golden State for so long, you can tell he's running this ship differently from his previous coaching stints. 
And it's making such a difference to where it doesn't matter who's on this roster. The boys are playing completely for Mike Brown to a level to where they're winning these games. And honestly, the leadership of De'Aaron Fox has taken another level, which is what helped take the, take the Kings to the level where they are playing at right now. And when you obviously the same can go with the Pacers, what's going on in Indiana. I think this, 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 the start of this season really goes to highlighting don't underestimate your opponent, period. Because all, yeah. these, all these teams throughout the NBA uh, season so far, we talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder. We're talking about the Utah Jazz. We're talking about the Sacram- uh, Sacramento Kings, Indiana Pacers. These are all teams that we've written off and was like, they're part of the victor of one of our sweepstakes. But they're sitting at the top of their divisions and top five within, East, within their respective conferences. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a narrative that is very special right now. And honestly, to be thankful for, because it's kind of refreshing in a lot of ways. You want to get to see the same top-tier teams go at it back and forth, even though it's, it's basketball nonstop. We love to see it. But to see these teams that we didn't expect to go this far or do this well this early, excel at the level, and quite frankly, shock us, shock the whole world in the way that they're playing, you know, it beats our expectations. And that's something that, quite frankly, is good for the league and good for us sports fans to, uh, to watch and see as basketball fans. So I'm excited for them, but the Kings, I don't know if I answered your question, to be honest. I'm just rambling at this point. But, no, the Kings, but you, you get you get you get to it. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, said yeah. what's impressed you, and, and it has been impressive. I mean, because when you think about it, I, I, I know most people don't watch Sacramento. I know that. And that's why when we had our show last week, Josh, when you was asking me for what game to watch, and we was talking about it, I said San Antonio versus Sacramento for that various reason. Because I knew when we were recording on that Monday with the episodes that we have dropping on Wednesday that people weren't going to catch Brooklyn and Sacramento or they would have already caught it by that time with it ending right. that Tuesday night. I was like, you got to watch this team because I know how hot they were getting. I'm familiar with Kevin Herter just for him being a Big Ten guy out of Maryland, a guy that I always used to look at is who was going to be like a Clay Thompson figure to, to Trey Young. Because if you think about it, Travis Slank, who's the GM of the Hawks, when they drafted Kevin Herter with Trey Young, I was like, that's Golden State East. He pretty much shooting like Clay right now. I'm and not saying he is him, but he but he's looking like a legit guy out there, a guy that they can build around with like a as a second or third option besides the Aaron. And, and the scary part about Sacramento is that Keegan Murray just getting his feet wet. Like once he started getting back active, he just came back off an injury on on Sunday. Once he gets back active, he's gonna be scary. But I want to ask you guys real quick. This most improved player of the year race, Tyrese Halliburton putting up career numbers. Shea Gilders-Alexander putting up career numbers. Bo Bo putting up career numbers. Lori Marketing is looking like an all-star in a, in a building block for the Utah Jazz. If you had to decide right now, just rather short and sweet, who would be the most improved player at this point in the year, who, who would you guys take? Or would it be anybody else different? that I didn't name. Yeah, just to, to answer your question real real short and sweet or, or as short as I can, um, all those guys are having fabulous seasons. But if we're going to bank it on the guy that is having a fabulous season but is also impacting winning the most, got to give it to the former bull, Laurie Markin, man. Um, ah! 
Like, like we, like, hey, I, hey, I can't <laughs> knock. I, I was, hey, I, I was, I was ready to have had a bull send him out too, man. I don't think we see this version of him here had he stayed, um, all told. But I mean, the guy is one of the leading catalysts for the best team in the West. This dude is averaging career highs in points, assists, offensive rebounds, field goal percentage. But not only that, get this: Laurie Markkinen is allowing 55.8% shooting at the rim on 104 attempts. Just to kind of put that in perspective, Clint Capella is at 54.9% on 102 attempts. Rudy Gobert is at 54.2% on 96 attempts. Like, I don't know what to do with that, man. It's, 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 it's messing my mind up, man. It really is. It really is. Um, Again, no disrespect to the other guys you mentioned. Those dudes are having fabulous seasons, but Larry Markin is playing like the version of the player the Bulls thought they were drafting, man. Like when they made that deal to get uh, Butler out of town um, with Minnesota, I think that deal was really built around Larry Markin. It was. Zach Levine happened to be the one that kind of ran with that opportunity, but. Um, that dude is playing on a ridiculous level right now. And he's not even hitting threes like at the level we're accustomed to seeing, which is even scarier. So if he if and when he starts to do that. <laughs> <laughs> they putting the ball in his hand too. That was something that Jim Boylan didn't do here. He basically relegated Lori to a corner. And that's why I always thought he had to be a guy that needed a change of scenery and that it would do him well. Because now you're starting to see him operate in, in a manner akin to how Fred Hoiberg had him doing in the pick and roll, off a dribble handoff, diving to the rim, et cetera. So I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one, Drew. And I definitely want to thank Drew for coming on. I know it's you know your time to go. Appreciate you coming on once again. Make sure to check Drew out on the Rebuildable podcast, on the big with Eugene McIntosh. Terrence Tomlin and Josh Higgs, they've been doing their thing with that. Appreciate you coming on, man. Maestro, I'll catch you later. Anytime, <laughs> man. Anytime, bro. You know, it's 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 us three, man. It's Kyle. It's it's Saul, man. It's, we we here, man. Whenever y'all need me, man. Whenever I can get in, man. I'm trying to get in with y'all. So keep doing y'all thing, man. I'm enjoying it for sure. For sure, appreciate it. Let us know when you're available, man. We definitely to have you back on. My man, appreciate y'all. Y'all be safe yeah. for this holiday, man. You too, man. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. Same to you. Yep. I love yeah, my Josh. brother Drew, man. I love <laughs> Drew. I love Drew. You know, I work with him, doing stuff with the bigs, you know. It, it, we, this is what we do. So I, I got to give him a shout out for that. But to bring Laurie Marketing, just blah, it just, it just does something <laughs> to my brain, man. It's just, it's like, a, it just, wow. I don't know. It's we like got to have a conversation about that dude, man. He, he cooking. I know, I know, I know. Uh, what's going on right now? Well, oh. the player of the year. My bad. Who you got? Man, look. I've, my guy that I got to choose is someone that, yes, he's made an impact in this, in, in, in this league. He's been on a tear as of recent. And um, he was the understudy of the legendary point guard, the point god. I know who you're about to say. 
I gotta go with Shea Gilchrist. I gotta go with Shea, man. Cause let's be serious here. The what makes Shea so special to me, and especially what he's doing right now, is the fact that he's not just doing it offensively from a scoring perspective. You know, we kind of expected that he would take that leap for, as a scoring point guard that he was just from when he even first when he even first got into the league. That was the thing that we knew defensively, that was his niche. But to take that next level, he had to be a scoring killing machine. And I think he excelled from not just being um, from not just being one of those, you know, complimentary scores, but being the main score. And for him to take that next level, he's I, I you just can't. You just can't, you know, for the most part, really exclude his growth from an offensive scoring perspective. So he's not just averaging 30-plus points a game. He's also giving you six assists, which is first in the NBA right now. So for, for so to do that, you're playing with a young team similar to Mark who not wasn't expected to go anywhere. But at least with the Utah Jazz, not knocking what Laurie's doing, you do have veteran star players and Mike Conley. Still got Jordan Clarkson over there. You still have, you know, players that were part of this playoff team and helped lead the playoff team last these, all these years in the Donovan Mitchell Rudy Gobert era. Shea Gilders Alexander doesn't have anyone. There's no like veteran players that he can lean on. He is the face. Like this is the dude, you know? And that's a good point. And for him to lead the way that he's leading with a bunch of rookies, about a, a lot of young guys that are like his age, and you're playing without Chet Holgram, whom they thought was going to be the next best thing next to Shea. I, I can't, I can't dismiss that and be like, you know, and be like he's not worthy of being the number one guy, considering Oklahoma City was like Utah, supposed to be the bottom of the bottom half of the league, and they are sitting top three in the Western Conference. I mean. It's hard to dismiss that for me. Yes, I will give credit to Lori Markinen, who is someone who, you know, I must give his, his, his proper respect and his flowers because he was good. He was decent in Chicago, but he wasn't what I thought he should have been. But he's doing that right now in Utah. It's all about situational basketball. So I get it. I got to give him his props for that. And he's well-deserving of being in the, in the conversation. But I can't go against Shea and what he's doing, considering that he really doesn't have what Laurie has at his disposal at this present moment. That's a, that's a good point. I didn't think about it from that angle or that perspective. Even though Oklahoma City is 7-10 and 10 right now, they stand at the same record identical to the Bulls through their first 17 games. They're only four games back from the Jazz for the top spot in the West. And when you got a guy like Shea Gilders Alexander, playing at the level that he has been playing at, there's no telling where this team could go if they get hot. With that said, th this is going to be an award that I feel like is going to be very interesting from start to finish this year. It, one week we may say Lori, like Drew said. One week we may say Shea, like you said. I could make a case for Tyrese Halliburton winning the award as well as Bo mm -hmm. Bo. And if you're going by team success, I get Drew's point. He makes a hell of an argument. And in spite of Rudy Gobert no longer being in Utah, the fact that Utah is still 
within the top 10 defensively, that's an impressive statement. And when he brings up the numbers for marketing, I guess you can kind of see why, which is strange for a guy that's not known for defense or wasn't known for defense coming into the league to be protecting the rim at the level in which he has. But, man, I, I, I feel like right now I, I got I to gotta go with Tyrese Halliburton. I just do. It's just it's just like I was telling Drew before you came on. I don't know too many guys who are averaging 20 and 10 and also shooting nearly 40% from beyond the arc. And he's doing it on a team that's red hot right now and is within the thick of the Eastern Conference playoff picture. And this was a team that we expected, just like the Jazz, to be in a victor when Benyama sweepstakes. Now, they still can be, depending yeah. on what moves take place. Miles Turner, we know that he's sick and tired of the trade rumors. We've heard his name linked to the Lakers. We've heard Buddy Hill's name linked to the Lakers. But you know what? Since they've been in Indiana, they have made winning plays and contributed to the success there thus far under Rick Carlisle. But the biggest part to me has been Tyrese Halliburton. The way this guy is able to, to navigate through pick and rolls and force defenses to collapse onto him into the paint, opening up kickouts to shooters like Benedict Matherin, Buddy Hill, Jalen Smith, I, his, his two-man game with, with, with Jackson in the pick and roll. It's been something to behold. And those guys look like a group that believe. If they're not believing, they damn sure playing together. And I feel like Halliburton is a big reason for that. He leads the league in assists, man. And every year, he's improved numbers-wise. And if we're going to award improvement, we have to consider that and take that in, in, into this conversation, man. Because if he continues playing at the level that he has, he's a guy that might steal an all-star spot from somebody. If, if Indiana is still within the thick of the playoff picture, come the top of the new year. That's a good point. That's, that's, that's definitely a good point. Tyler, 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 uh, Tyrese Halliburton, he's really, he's really uh, blossomed in a way that imagine if the Kings did keep him. You know, you just never know how much further they could even go with his growth and the way that he was moving, um, especially now that, they're, now that the Kings are playing so well under Mike Brown. I think maybe having that different coaching change and even that an environment in some cases, Ty, Tyrese Halliburton could have, thrived in that backcourt with uh, with De'Aaron Fox, but he's doing it, what he's doing in Indiana. And most definitely, he's, he's deserving all the respect that he's getting right now it's, amid all those trade rumors, amid all those reports about Indiana's uh, locker room potentially changing and things of that sort. He's doing a, he's doing a hell of a job. But And like you said, it, it really is up in the air at this present moment for these guys, um, just because individually, each player has grown in such a way that, you know, when you compare their growth from last year to now, the leadership roles that they have within those teams, within their current situations as well, you never thought that that big of a leap would take place for each of those players that we've mentioned. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a very interesting uh, award decision coming down the line throughout the season. I want to see how they progress, especially through the second half of the season after all-star break where things get more games get more intense there's more meaning to the games and it's play and potential playoffs to see how where those where those teams land up but right now there are some good candidates that we've mentioned out and i think we will do a heck of a job if we hosted our own award show throughout the nba because clearly we 
clearly we know what we're talking about, Gabe. We, we, we know what we're talking <laughs> about. So we might as well just have our own award show and just do it and do it like this because the picks that we've come up with so far, you know, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely worth noticing. And that's that's pretty much what we're doing at this present moment because it's hard to pick just one guy. Well, my preseason pick to win it was Anthony Edwards. And he's had some success as well, but he's going to have a run for his money this year because there's a lot of guys that's done step their game up in some. And speaking of this, while we're on this segment, prior to segueing into the next one, Darren Fox was named Western Conference Player of the Week this week. He averaged 25 points, eight assists, and 3.7 rebounds, shooting 60% from the field, 41 percent from three-point range and over 85 percent from the free throw line won the award for the third time in his career and the first time this season but I want to move on and go out to Brooklyn team that's always in the news Kevin Durant man went on a press run doing interviews with Chris Haynes senior NBA insider for TNT and Bleach Report as well as ESPN and Anscape senior NBA writer Mark J Spears talking about why he requested a trade this past summer from Brooklyn, how he's seeking to go about trying to enjoy basketball, his lack of hobbies during the season, and and so forth. We know what this guy brings to the table. He just broke um, a record that Michael Jordan had, scoring 25 points in 17 straight games to start the season. Now he's chasing Elgin Baylor, Rick Barry, and Will Chamberlain for the all-time record. Going to have a long way to go to catch Will, but mm-hmm. he's making history nonetheless. What were your thoughts on the two interviews from Kevin Durant that came out in the last week Talk about his legacy and so much more? I thought it was very profound, and he, he spoke very raw, but uh, it was honest, and I, I really appreciated it personally. I appreciate the fact that he didn't go to any of the other NBA insiders. He just went to the two brothers that know him the best. That's what happened. That's the that's the that's the one thing that I want to acknowledge is the importance of player relationships because I, I can just tell he no one else is gonna get that type of information if it wasn't for them to tell you that right now. So I appreciated that. I'm glad to hear that he spoke to those two specifically to give them that raw deep uh, information. But what Kevin Durant is experiencing, what what we're seeing out of Kevin Durant, is him implement his him implementing the Golden State effect. This is what happens when you go to a championship franchise that built that is predicated on winning championships year after year after year, and establishing such a culture that they would do whatever it takes to get the talent necessary to make the team work. All he, all he pretty much did was tell them, look, what y'all brought here, what I came here to do, y'all not giving me what I think y'all can give me. Y'all have to step it up. That's pretty much what he was pretty much trying to tell them. He wasn't, I know he, I know he went on a further explanation from the quotes that he would originally said. He wasn't trying to, he said he wasn't trying to diminish the talent of his teammates. He loves playing with his teammates and everything. Yeah, but what he's he saying that. is, but what he was trying to say was, I know what it takes to win championships. Y'all, and that's what, I, and that's part of my challenge of coming here is to bring championship culture here. What y'all are bringing to the table does not equate to what it takes to win and I want to win. So you got to, you better, so you got to put what's in a lot of, in, in his own way, follow me and, and what, and, and follow the example I'm trying to set in order for, in order for you guys to understand what it truly means to win championships. And 
that was the best way he could do it, which is a way that we know from Kevin Durant's nature isn't him. He's not the type to just go out there and request trade requests and things of that sort. He's, he's a loyal guy. But he's, 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 think, he's taking a next step from a leadership perspective and saying, okay, if this is the only way I need to get my voice to be heard, this is the best way I'm going to do it. And that's what he was pretty much explaining was that's the only way he could do it. Because he went on to describe the difference between Jock Vaughn, how he ran his practices versus Steve Nash, when, and the chemistry they have from a coaching from a coach's perspective. He's he admitted he's more bought in with Jock Vaughn than he is with Steve Nash. Um, and, he, and he, you know, highlighted the emphasis from a front office perspective. Like, yeah, I'm Kevin Durant, but guess what? I played with Steph Curry. I played with Klay Thompson. I played with Draymond Green. I played with other all-stars that came with me, too. You can't expect me to win just with Royce O'Neal and Seth Curry and company. That's what, like he wasn't trying to come at them, but he's trying to say is it's it's it's, it's it's the best way you can I guess analyze it or compare. It's like you use to eat. No disrespect to any of these spots that I'm that I'm about to say because I eat at all local all local restaurants. You know that's what we do. I'm not gonna dismiss that, but it's like you go to Chili's, you you, you get a sirloin steak, and you're like, oh, it's a really State. Then you mess around, go to RPM State or Ruth's Chris. You get the luck or Michael Jordan Steakhouse. You get the luxury steak, and you're like, "Oh, dang, I, this is different. This is this is top notch quality." I can't go back to Chili's after I didn't have that Ruth's Chris, man. <laughs> I can't go back. You, I'm, now I know what it's like to have top quality food. Kevin Durant went to the finals with Oklahoma City and lost. Then he went to Golden State and saw what it's like to win championship after championship, finals appearance after finals appearance. And then he goes to Brooklyn and he's like, okay, I want to implement that there. But this ain't given. That's like him going from Chili's to Ruth Chris and going back to Chili's and expecting them to, to upgrade their food. Like it's, 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 it's an impossible task, but it can be done. And the fact that that is taking place, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to, he's trying to show Brooklyn that. And it's tough to do right now considering all, everything that's going on in Brooklyn, but it's not impossible because he is Kevin Durant. He is one of the, the top players, the best players in the world. So I think that's what he was trying to get out, come across with. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that he knows what it takes to win now. And Brooklyn doesn't seem to, obviously doesn't know that yet, and with everything taking place, he's like, okay, enough's enough. I got to put my foot down and, sh- and, and let it be known. Like, okay, you want me here? Cool. I want to be here too. But winning has to be mutual. And if winning has to be mutual, we got to be on the same page. And I'm going to show you what that looks like. You know, I, I got a lot out of it personally. And what I got out of it is a guy that is hell-bent on not only winning, but trying to show guys around him what it takes in order to not only succeed in the league but to have longevity in the league he mm-hmm. talked about legacy and how he's not concerned about with what fans think oh you got to win this ring now that you haven't won a ring in four years he says not about that it's about the wisdom that i impart to cam thomas so that when he's in you know his seventh or eighth year in the league He's more advanced and sound as a player or other guys that's on the roster. 
What I also got is, is that he's a guy that is truly committed to the grind. And I can understand why he requested a trade when he put it the way that he did in his article with Chris Haynes. And he said, I wanted us to practice more. I wanted us to focus on closeout drills. Watching this next team, I can understand exactly why he wanted that. Because this is one of the worst teams in the league when it comes to defending the three-point line. He said, Jock does that. And you know what? I see it. Because since Jacques Vaughn has taken over, not only have the Nets won six out of their last 10 games following a two and five start to the season, but they've also appeared to be well engaged on the defensive end. Guys are talking to one another. Guys are communicating with one another off of switches and so forth. Jock is calling things out for them, communicating, making sure that those guys are talking on the floor. That's all he wanted. And I think now that he's gotten that, you see a more renewed energy in Brooklyn. You can tell just watching the games that KD is invested based on how he's playing defensively. And mm -hmm. I find it funny that you brought up Golden State because if you ask me, that's really what Kevin Durant became a solid defender in yep. Golden State. That, that's really the place where he began to emerge and show people, hey, I can play the five for about 10, 15 minutes if need be, rotate to the rim, protect the rim, block shots, because he wanted to win that battle. I still see that same Kevin Durant in Brooklyn. And, oh, yeah, by the way, he still could get his shot off with the best of them, and he don't need too many dribbles to do it. So and he's very efficient as a scorer. As I have the scoring numbers in front of me, you know, yeah, he's not leading the league in scoring, but Kevin Durant is what, like, He's fifth in scoring right now, and he's averaging 30 a game. And this is a guy that's, what, 15 years in the league now? Still able to do it? You have to appreciate guys like that while you can. And reading these articles showed that to me in great detail. I also appreciated the fact that he talked about there are different types of leaderships mm -hmm. in the NBA and in sports in general and in life in general. And I think that's true in so many times where – you have a lot of people who want you to lead as a previous predecessor did or someone that they once idolized did, but it's different eras. And I yeah, think that's yeah. something that fans have to understand. But I, I, I've been impressed with what I've seen from the Nets thus far. And as I said, you know, they won two in a row in the wake of his most recent interviews currently in action against Philadelphia right now, as we record this, what's, impressed you about this Nets squad as of late? Me and Drew kind of talked about him a little bit to open up the show, talking about Utah Watanabe. Ben Simmons has elevated his play as of late, putting up double figures the last few games, had 22 against Memphis. What was caught you out with this group, man? Like, I know they're in the playing range, but for them to start as slow as they had and to get back to where they are, under Jock Vaughn, looked like some brewing in Brooklyn. I don't know if it's special yet, but with Kyrie coming back, you know, it's not looking as bad as it once did. <laughs> right, right. I think a lot of it does play a role considering that now Kyrie is off suspended and timeout. So since he's not in timeout anymore, you know, you're going <laughs> to start working things around, okay? But I think for me, it's twofold. One, uh, gosh, I am so bad with names. 
But it's the, it's the sharpshooter in, in Brooklyn, the uh, Asian guy. Yuta Watanabe. Yes. Yuta Watanabe. Yes. So sorry, brother, if you're listening to this, sharp's my head, not my heart. But, <laughs> no, I got you. but no, for real, like he, he has been a huge difference maker. When you talk about, especially when you talk about the absence during that time frame of Joe Harris, says Curry battling back from injuries. He's helped them keep afloat in the shooting in the shooting perspective. He's shooting fifty percent from three. Yeah, leading the league. Leading the league. Leading the league in threes. So I think his emergence, coming from an unknown to now being a threat on the scouting report that you got to watch out for, really helps boost the Brooklyn Nets in a lot of ways. And especially Kevin Durant when he's being double teamed and he has to look for shooters. You know, Royce O'Neal has stepped up in, in certain ways. But the but that brother that that sharpshooter he's come out he came out swinging, and he's helped and he's helped expand that that uh, the the he's helped he's helped hurt the opponent's defense and make it very difficult to guard the Nets because of his shooting. That being said, talking about defense, that's my other component of things that actually shocked me with the, the Brooklyn Nets. They're playing defense now, and the defense is not and the defense in a lot of ways has kept them in games to where it's not a lot of blowouts. These games are manageable now. And for Brooklyn, that's all you need when you got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in your squad. Just keep the game close. And they can take over in the fourth quarter when they need to, and the rest can be history. I think eventually they're going to start developing that more, considering now that you got Kyrie back, if they both can stay healthy, if everyone can stay healthy, and Ben Simmons emerges in the way that he's emerging now, yeah, it's gonna be something. I think it's gonna be something special brewing in Brooklyn. It may not be what we expect. I fully thought it was going to be, but at the end of the day, it is. It's gonna be something very serviceable to a point where Brooklyn stays in that lower range seed in the Eastern Conference. That's gonna be a team. These top team. These top teams in the Eastern Conference are not gonna to want to play, especially when you're talking about a playing tournament. You only need one game. Yeah, that, that's that's well said. I, I don't want to put them you know, fully in the playing picture yet, even though they currently stand in it, you know, a lot can happen. You know, mm-hmm. as we saw last year in the East, Boston was 500 at the top of this year, the last yep. season. They went on a run and got to win in two wins of a championship. So you never know. But I, I do like what I'm seeing. Utah Watanabe has also been big on the defensive end, too, blocking shots, protecting the paint, had a, a hell of a defensive stance against Damian Lillard in that, clutch affair in Portland last week that they stole from Portland late in the fourth quarter. Royce O'Neal was big too with a triple-double. But I want to move on from the East to the West to talk about the Lakers. They got out to a 2-10 and ten start. Things did look well. But Anthony Davis has decided to go back into the post, play some bully ball, putting together 30 and 15 games. Lakers have won three in a row without LeBron, who has been nursing a left adductor strain and yeah. been out the last four games. Do you think that this group has turned the corner? Still not a playoff picture, but do you think they turned the corner under Darvin Ham, first-year head coach? I will say yes. And the okay. reason why is because you finally playing in the way that even LeBron James wanted the Lakers to play, which is through Anthony Davis. You couldn't do that for previous years because he wasn't healthy. Now that you got him healthy, now that he's actually, you know, got some, got some back in the full shape of the swing of things, you know, he's performing at a level we expected him to play. 
and it's paying off dividends for this Lakers team. But to say in general that you're winning games without LeBron James for the Lakers, that's already over turning the corner because you can never win without him. So that's already turning the corner. But I think, but I want to take this a little bit a step further, not just from Anthony Davis, but for Russell Westbrook. Since he has embraced that six-man role, coming off the bench, his shooting has drastically improved. He's free, his his three-point shot has improved. Scoring has improved. He's coming off the bench, bringing you 16, almost triple-double numbers, 16, 8, and 7, I want to say. And he's shooting over 35% from the three-point line. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? <laughs> but the key to all of this is the man you mentioned earlier, Darvin Ham. His coaching, him and his coaching staff have made it workable and serviceable for Anthony Davis to do his, but create the opportunities for Russell Westbrook to go do him. And when they all and when they all understood those roles and embraced those roles, now you got a Laker team that's rolling. And that is something that is scary for the NBA because you're doing this without LeBron James. If you can get LeBron James healthy and still being as serviceable as he is with all of this meshing together, now you're getting a Lakers team that you thought was dead, that was really dangerous and deadly. Now, granted, the role players have to continue to come out and play. They're, they're starting to get players back like Thomas Bryant, um, who's going to be a huge for them in the, in the, in the center He's position. He's playing real well. Yes, uh, most definitely. You know, you're getting those guys back. So injuries is going to be a play role in this as well. But now that everyone understands their roles, if you can make all that work with LeBron James coming back healthy, which is something under Darvin Ham, I believe he's capable of doing. Now you're talking about a dangerous Lakers team that you don't want to play on any given night. And that is something that the league and I have been waiting for for the longest because I was tired of seeing these late night trash games uh, all over TNT and all that. I was tired of seeing them. I was tired of seeing them get waxed the way that they have. It's time for them to get back to Laker glory. May not be that type of Laker glory, but at least somewhat of it to make things competitive, you know, and that's where they're at right now. And it's a beautiful sight to see. Someone was on Twitter. I don't know who it was. It was like one of these parody accounts, I guess, or something. They were saying like after the Kings put a spanking on the Nets last week that the Kings need to take all of the Lakers games on TNT from here on out. After you know the performance, they put he said that too. Yeah, I want to yeah, say, like, yeah, he, he said that as well. Like, a lot of people were saying it, it was all across Twitter that night. But I don't know now if, if Anthony Davis keep playing the way he's he been playing, things could get very interesting. I don't know if they back because they beat teams that they were supposed to beat mm. Spurs, Pistons, and, and so forth. They, they beat the teams that they needed to beat. And they actually got a couple more games against San Antonio after Thanksgiving, I believe. And they're about to go on a six-game road trip in early December. And if they find a way to take care of business coming up this week, as they have a game coming up against Phoenix on the night that we record this, if they take care of that game and a couple other games against San Antonio, they, they could be in a real nice position once LeBron comes back to possibly go on a little run or so. But I, I, I have been impressed. One thing I do notice, players are playing hard for Dar Darvin Ham. They're playing very hard for him. Austin Reeves, some nights he looks like he's a point guard 
in these pick and roll scenarios, hitting guys on backdoor cuts and so forth. Lonnie Walker has provided a tremendous boost to this team energy-wise, not only from beyond the arc shooting the three ball, but also as a backdoor cut man on the defensive end. He, he's been a hell of a find and a pickup for them. San Antonio just let him walk for nothing. And I don't know why they did that, but it, it proved to be a big blessing for the Lakers or, or, or so far it has. And Russell Westbrook, of course, you know, what more can I say about him? I think with LeBron out of the lineup, it's actually helping open the floodgates for him because as much as I love LeBron, LeBron is one of the most ball-dominant players in the game to me that's yep. not named Luka Doncic. If you're playing beside LeBron James, you have to know how to play off of the ball, and you have to be ready to fire and shoot mostly or cut when a double comes, if, if, if necessary. With him out of the lineup, it's giving Russ the ability to say, hey, I can run this thing too. And we know when he has the ball in his hand, which he's used to and has had for the majority of his career, he's capable of putting up big-time numbers. But he's also shooting a three-ball with confidence and in rhythm within the flow of the offense. And I think that's very important. And with Anthony Davis, what he's doing, shooting inside the paint, like he's shooting a career high from the floor right now because he's finally decided, hey, I'm going to do what I need to do to be the best player that I could be. And that's play bully ball. I'm, I'm getting on the block and I'm going to work. I have not seen him play like this in a, in a while. And I hope he continues to, because if he does, he can shut up a lot of critics who want to complain a, a, about him and say, well, he's always hurt. He doesn't play hard. He settles for shots. And he's doing it with a back injury. It's something like you can tell he's not 100, but to play the way that he has, and, and as we know, Laker Nation is a very harsh and fickle fan base, to say the least, who wanted him traded, I think he's shut them up as of late in a major way. And as a result, this Lakers team is looking fairly interesting, even though they are currently outside of the playoff picture with a lot of basketball left to be played. Yep, and that's the, that's the biggest component. There's a lot of basketball to be played. You can never count on a team that has a healthy LeBron James that still can give you 25 plus with with eight rebounds and eight assists. Like you just can't, you can't dismiss that. So if they can put it all together and continue to put it all together, that's gonna be a scary team uh for any to anyone to play on any given night, especially in the Western Conference, because Darwin Ham got them playing right now. He got he got them balling. And <laughs> the last thing you want is to have Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, and LeBron James balling at the same time in ways that we expected and wanted them to play when the, when that big three was was originally arrived uh, uh, you know originally arrived last season carrying on from Laker Nation talk to some injuries that's been ravaging the league a lot of guys being hurt that's going to impact these standings in both the east and west respectively Desmond Bain set to miss some time be reevaluated within the next couple of weeks or so after spraining his big toe on his right foot last week was in the midst of a career year out in Memphis through his first 12 games averaging nearly 25 5 and 5 and his running mate in Memphis John Morant could be out for about a week or so after coming down with a sprained ankle 
a few nights ago against the Oklahoma City Thunder. He was listed as questionable tonight prior to tip-off against the Kings. I'm not sure if he played or not, but that's an injury you, you might want to monitor. Mike Conley Jr. be out for at least the next couple of weeks or so after suffering a left knee strain this past weekend against the Portland Trail Blazers. Tyrese Maxey is said to be missing the next three to four weeks after suffering a small fraction in his left foot against the Bucks. Damian Lillard expected to be reevaluated within the next couple of weeks or so after exiting Portland's contest against the Jazz. Same game that Mike Conley got hurt in, Damian Lillard got hurt in, said to have suffered a right calf strain or had some right calf tightness uh, and a grade one strain to the soleus muscle in his right lower leg, according to team personnel. Chris Paul has been out the last six games for Phoenix and is set to be reevaluated within the next couple of days as he nurses a heel injury. It's a lot of teams right now, Josh, in the in the race for the playoffs. A lot of them. As of this current recording, you have four teams that sit either within a game or a game and a half back of the Jazz as the current playoff standards are jumbled up in what is made for a very interesting start on the 22-23 season. Boston and Milwaukee are just sitting atop of the East. Bucks came in only a half a game behind the Celtics for the number one spot as of this recording. Based on the shapings of the standings thus far, man, and this is a question that I didn't get into with you last week that I wanted to bring back up this week. Which team do you think needs to make a move the most in order to take that next step forward and officially get over the hump? Because we got some teams that were among the top of the top in their respective conferences, such as Miami, Golden State a season ago, who are on the outside looking in right now and not playing 500 ball or on the fringe like 500 ball for the most part. I'm honestly going to go with a team that's not necessarily um, per se in the struggle right now, but it's a team that, that it's a team that does need to make moves considering what's happening right now with their roster. If they want to go back to another deep playoff run, uh, especially after last year's disappointment, that's the Phoenix Suns. Um, I'm going with them because obviously the injury to Cam Johnson hurt, Heard that wing depth. You still got Mikhail Bridges, but you don't have Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder is still, uh, he was a vital piece to that lineup and the thread together from a three and D perspective. That being said, you still got him on your roster and you're trying to make moves. If you want to, to replace that, there's been recent rumors that I'm pretty sure you know about with them having conversations with Atlanta. If you can bring Bogdan over to Phoenix, You'll be trading defense for offense, but it's a hell of a move considering you. when Cam Johnson comes back, he'll provide that defense component. You already got things straight with Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson when you talk about the wing, wing three and D depth. What Bodon will give you is three point, additional three-point shooting in the way that Jay Crowder couldn't provide. Granted, you know, Jay Crowder's more of a defender. You needed that bulky type of guy in your perimeter. Makes sense. But Phoenix now is moving, is, is, even though they have the defense that is set, especially when you got DeAndre Aiden as, your, as a big man defensively, who stepped up in a lot of ways this year, you need some efficient shooting to go down the stretch in. 
especially when you talk about that, that fourth quarter when if Chris Paul's not hitting and moments where Devin Booker's not hitting. You need someone that's going to be able to at least go get you some type of a bucket or shoot the ball effectively. Bodon is one of those guys that can be from a shooter perspective that can get you that. And I think he will fit in good with Phoenix in a Chris Paul-led offense where he is more of a facilitator than scorer at times. Bodon will fit right in. And I think he would help make the game that much easier for Devin Booker on the offensive end. If that would be the move to me that would get him over the hump in ways that last year they struggled in that area. I think that would be a good way to kind of help seal some of that air that's been sleeping in through the household in the wintertime. It's a good way to close that up a little bit so that way you can stay warm over throughout the winter season, right? I think he'll be that move to help them stay afloat in a lot of ways when Devin Booker's not having a good game, when Chris Paul's not having a good game. When even when and, and even in moments where Cam Johnson may be struggling because he's going to be coming back from this injury, he's going to need some time to get that rust off. I think that'll be a good fit for him. You know, I've been talking about how the Suns have needed to make a move date back to last year during the holidays, and I've been adamantly saying it on Twitter, and I know I haven't been the only person to say it on the platform, but. Phoenix, I, I would love to see Eric Gordon in Phoenix. But now that you bring up Don Bogdanovich, a guy that I never thought about, it makes sense. And in a manner akin to what Gordon could provide if he were to get dealt to Phoenix, Bogdan can do that as well, which is give the Suns a secondary playmaker, which is vital, especially when you consider the fact that Chris Paul is as great as he is. He's not the Chris Paul of old. And there's going to be some nights where he's going to need a rest or he might not be able to go. It gives you some added value insurance. And what Bogdanovich could provide this team is not only with a knockdown shooter, but a complimentary facilitator next to Devin Booker, mm -hmm. allowing him to play off the ball and they can take turns a little bit doing that. It's both are, are, are superb in those roles. I, I think that would be one hell of a pickup, honestly. And they might be able to make that happen more likelier than getting Gordon because I know Houston is going to want a first-round draft pick for right. him or, or something of, of value as far as draft capital is concerned. It may not be a, a boatload, but they're going to want a valuable pick back for him. The team that I have in mind, or a team that I believe needs to make a move in order to take that next step is Miami. Miami is, is off to a very slow start right now. Mm -hmm. And they got a lot of guys that are hurt. A lot of guys that without, the, without them, I don't know how they make it. And while there's still a lot of basketball left to be played, I see a team that's very thin on the wing on nights when Jimmy Butler is not able to play. And sometimes I feel like they're playing Jimmy out of position because he's a three, but they usually are playing him at the four. Why not try and see if you can swing a deal for Kyle Kuzma if the finances work? I think he could, he could be a guy that helps them stretch the floor, gives them a secondary playmaker, Especially 
on nights when Cal Lowry might not be able to play or in a lineup with Gabe Vincent, who, in my opinion, is as nice as Gabe Vincent is defensively. He's more of a weapon off the ball as opposed to on it. Mm -hmm. I think Cal Kuzma could really help this team out a great deal. Another move that they might want to check into is Julius Randle. This is a team that spent a, a crap load of money trying to compete and win and buy for a title. And it started when they signed Jimmy Butler in the summer of 2019. I feel like this is Pat Riley's last hurrah. If he doesn't make it work with this group, it just wasn't meant to be. He He's had a hell of a career as a head coach and as an executive down in South Beach, as we know. But he 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 has his hands full trying to figure out what moves need to be made in order to give this group under Eric Spoelstra the boost in which they need in order to progress and get up a top of the Eastern Conference as they were a season ago. They may not get that number one seed, but if they could get to it in the top four, you still got to consider them and get them a chance because, as we know, with those guys and the regimes that they have and, 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 and making sure that guys stay in tip-top shape to compete through not only 82 games but beyond, that's not a team nobody's going to want to play in a best-of-seven series if they're healthy. That's a good point. That is a very good point. When you mentioned Miami, a mother move that could have <clears> – <throat> that could potentially help her say is moving Kyle Lowry and maybe looking at maybe getting, you know, revisiting a Russell Westbrook type of deal. That's and, been rumored. Yeah. Like I, I've, it, been, it, I've been reading that. I, I think it would, it wouldn't be a bad swap. I really don't because Kyle Lowry isn't living up to the expectations of what they signed up for. He's been, he has not been that great. And I think his style of play from a traditional point guard perspective may be a better fit next to LeBron, especially if you got AD being healthy. Russ isn't your traditional point guard, but play, him playing against Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler doesn't require to have the ball as much as LeBron James does. I think I think if he went, I think if Russ went to Miami, they let him they'll let him loose. And at this point, they really had nothing to worry about considering, you know, the makeup of their team is right now. Duncan Robinson ain't performing in, in, in a way that he's supposed to be performing. You paid him $95 yeah. million in his, in his deal. That's the contract that's hurting him. Yeah. Honestly, I, I don't like to bring up players' money, you know, because as long as you produce, no one really brings it up. And I, I understand guys are entitled to bad days, even the best of the professionals of the 450 that make up the NBA, but they haven't been able to get much out of him at all in the last year and a half after the success that he had in the bubble when they got to the finals against the Lakers when he had that career year, which led to the big payday. I'm looking at Miami's record right now. They're 7-11. and They've lost six out of their last 10 games, and they're currently on a four-game losing streak. Kyle Lowry, I feel like, would be the piece that would have to be moved in order for them to get Kuzma. Mm -hmm. And I think it would help both sides because if you look at the Wizards, the Wizards don't really have a ton of depth at the point guard position. It, it, it would solve both team needs. I, I, I know that in order for the Heat to get Kyle Kuzma, they probably would have to throw some draft picks on top of that with Kyle Lowry because you're talking about a very expensive contract. 
But if it's anybody who has been willing to take on bad contracts in an effort to win lately, it's always been Washington. I mean, hell, think about the, the Westbrook for wall swap. Mm-hmm. Think about the money that they took on when they took Chris Porzingis right. in the trade with Dallas. They've committed a, a ton of money to Bradley Beal. This is a team that, even though they may be a middle-of-the-pack team in the East, they've always sought to do whatever it took to get to the playoffs, I guess, to get the extra bonuses of the playoff money. So I could see them making a move with Washington for Kyle Kuzma. And Phoenix might even be in that sweepstakes. I think Kyle Kuzma is going to be a, a, a very highly coveted piece as the trade market begins to heat up come December 15th, which is when I believe the trade deadline officially begins or guys can start to be traded across the association. So that is going to be interesting to watch and monitor for certain. But moving on, I, I want to move on because we at the end of the show. It's Thanksgiving. We typically talk about what's our top games to watch throughout the week. You may not have one, Josh, if you don't, I understand, but if you're not, if you don't have an NBA game that you're thankful for this week, what storyline or player or even team are you thankful for this season that's captured your eye or imagination thus far is we're currently in week six of the season? Man, I to be honest with you, I can't even really give you a, a team to be thankful for. I, I think I'm thankful for the narrative that there's no easy games in the NBA anymore. I'm I like thankful that. for that. I'm thankful for the fact that even the best teams, best of the best teams, can play against teams that you thought were going to be below average, and they still, and they can flip the script on any given night. And there's and there's specific talent on those teams that have taken that extra level to change that narrative. So I, it's been a while since I want to say it's been a while since the league in general has had this much quality competition throughout the league in a very long time and now that we're at that level i could turn on any game and you can't expect blowouts every night it's always gonna be some type of competitive game and a lot of times underdogs are putting themselves in positions to win those games that's from a competitive fan basketball perspective that's what i'm most thankful for i i, I like that I've always felt like there were no easy games in the league, even though, you know, the NBA has never been a league that's filled with parity in a manner that's similar to the NFL or so forth. It's not that. It's been a league that has been ruled by dynasties. But dynasties are much harder to come by now, to add to your point on that. And I understand what you're saying because, like, just to add perspective to Josh's point, the San Antonio Spurs got off to a high start this year. And now, even though in spite of the fact that they lost five in a row, they're six and 12 as of this recording, but yet they're second to last in the West, but they've been a very competitive bunch. Keldon Johnson has had a career year. Devin Vassell has is, is, is stepped his game up and improved and been a, a mid-range assassin in, in a pick and roll maestro and stuff, and he's only going to get better. So it's, it's a lot of talent in the league. And if you look at the Western Conference standings, it's like it flip-flops every day. So I, I see what you're talking about. As far as what I'm thankful for this year, I'm just thankful for the improvement 
of these young players. You know, we talked about the most improved player award earlier on the show. To see the year-to-year improvement from the guards, such as Tyrese Halliburton, Shea Gilgis Alexander, that deserves to be commended. That deserves to be commended. Yeah. Just watching what, what, what Shea did last week against the Wizards, putting up 42-7-6, and six, hitting guys with, with, with step-back triples to win games, they can't stop this guy from getting into the paint. And I'm seeing a lot of guards with him and Halliburton, most notably, like they're scoring in the paint at will in a manner similar to bigs. And that's rather telling because typically when we look at points in the paint stat, we're expecting a Giannis or, or somebody to, or Zion Williamson to be among the lead leaders in that category. I believe Shea, uh, at least what I saw the stats about a week ago, is like among the lead leaders in points in the paint. That's crazy to me. So I, I'm thankful just for the year-to-year improvement, man, of these guys. And it's a testament to how hard they've been working and putting in, you know, that the the 1,000 hours, as we say, during the offseason, man. I I, I just have to, to, to show them guys some love. As far as games I'm thankful for, games I, I think people need to have their eyes on. I'm going to keep saying it. Sacramento and Boston. Sacramento is the hottest Ooh. team in the league right now. Yeah. They play on Friday night at 7 p.m. at the TD Garden. That's a statement game. You want to you put your eyes or, or you want to put the fans' eyes on you or, or, or put them on notice, you, you, you knock off the Celtics. I think that would be a big deal if, if you're Mike Brown and the Kings. So that's a game I would watch. And then on Sunday, on Sunday evening, you know, between Dallas and Milwaukee at the Pfizer, at the Pfizer Forum in downtown Milwaukee in that Deer District. I think that'll be an interesting game. Anytime you get a chance to see Luka Doncic and Giannis Antetokounmpo go head to head, you can't take that for granted. You can catch that on NBA TV at 7 o'clock Central Time on Sunday evening. That might be a nice game you, you, you might want to watch with, the, with your leftover plates or whatever. <laughs> Thanksgiving if you feel good about it. <laughs> right. I feel, I feel that. Those are some really good games. But I, I just there's one for sure that caught my eye, too. That, that I want to briefly mention is on Friday, you got Cleveland against Milwaukee in the five. Oh, yeah. Four. You and Donovan Mitchell, as of late, has been snapping. You have that that lineup, that strong tier lineup against Giannis. Ooh, that's gonna be a matchup to watch, boy. Cleveland's been hot, Milwaukee's been hot. I'm looking forward um to definitely putting that on the on the calendar to watch at 7 p.m. because uh I know for sure my leftover is going to be good. So I'm going to eat my <laughs> leftovers as I watch that specific game. And even another matchup that I, I'm kind of intrigued on watching in a lot of ways is on Sunday as well. I kind of want to see Golden State in Minnesota. I kind of want to see how, um, how obviously not just the Warriors come out and play. But I want to see, I want to see what Ant-Man does to them. I want to see how Ant-Man rolls and, and uh, rises to the occasion against the defending champions in a way that we know he is capable of doing. And, you know, Minnesota has been has been on, a, on the lower end of things. You know, Rudy Gobert has been talking about how he doesn't like him when Minnesota fans, fans boo him, so he told him to go home and stay home. I'm interested to see how, you know, all that eventually turns around. But Ant-Man against the Warriors, that's something I want to see. I want to see if Ant-Man rises to the occasion in that game. 
Yeah, and that's a two thirty tip off game, and that 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 could be a game to watch. And the reason why I say that is because if I'm not mistaken, Golden State has not won a game on the road yet this season, and that's rather telling. Yeah. To be the defending world champions and have as much experience and pedigree as those guys have, to not have won a game on the road, and we almost in December right now, that's that's telling. But I I, I like those games that you that you pick Cleveland and Milwaukee. Yeah, those games, all those games are must-watch for me, especially after last week because Milwaukee put a beating on them. And Brooke Lopez had a field day shooting from beyond the arc, hitting over several triples and so forth. And Jared Allen wasn't in that contest. He should be good to go for Cleveland with those twin tiles that they have with him and Evan Mobley. Yeah, I, I think Cleveland going to be out for blood in that game, especially after having a rough week like they did a couple weeks ago. They recently started to pick it up, got a couple of big wins against Minnesota, um, had a had a had a win against Atlanta to kick off this week. That's that's a huge, that's a huge statement game for them. If you want to show that you the best of the best in the central, that's the team to beat. Because they have had the key to the central ever since LeBron James left Cleveland um, following his second term there. But I want to end the show on that note. Um Appreciate my man, Drew Stevens, for coming on, rocking with us. Uh, before we close, you got anything you want to plug, Josh? I know you was you was at the Bulls and Celtics uh, matchup with the Madhouse on Madison. Anything you've been doing with the bigs people need to keep their eyes on? Oh, man. Um, the Bulls don't have a home game for the next two weeks. Yeah, me and, me and Drew were talking about that. That is true. They do kick off a six-game road trip. So it's not gonna be yeah, like they, their next home game is December the seventh against the Wizards. <laughs> yeah, so uh, let's let's see how good or bad <laughs> this this can go <laughs> because the Bulls' calling card has been slow starts, and then you hope to ramp it up throughout the middle of the game with your second unit, and hopefully that'll spark the comeback. Right, you know. It's easy to do it against teams that may not be as equipped to handle the talent that you bring in, but you're dealing with some big dogs on this six-game West Coast trip. That doesn't even include you going to Pfizer Arena, Pfizer Forum, to play against the Bucks, which is recording on a Tuesday. They play them on Wednesday. That ain't gonna be no. That's not no. That's not no joke. And going from there to a West Coast trip, it ain't gonna be easy. So let's let's see how this turns out. I'm looking forward to, to checking that out. But I want to do something a little different, man. We talked about. I don't know if I missed this part. So if I did, you know, let me know. But we talked about how everybody else is thankful and having their friends, having, you know, with this Friendsgiving segment. We got our producer, Saul, in the background recording this thing. He got to give Saul some love. Let's, let's have him oh, come on. Sure. Again. Yeah, we definitely, yeah, we definitely come on, Saul. Have Saul, man. Come on, Saul. Come on the yeah. show, man. Give us your, just give us your <laughs> thoughts, man. You know, this is the man. That helps make this engine run, you know? So Yes, we indeed. Give, we obviously are thankful for you um, and for no what, doubt. You, what you bring to the show. But, yeah, just give a quick little quick little shout-out and tell us what you're thankful for, man, as we get ready to end this episode. Yeah. Well, well I appreciate it. I'm th definitely thankful for you guys and uh, for letting me do this and uh, and for all, you know, all the compliments you guys give me. You know, I appreciate all the shout-outs and stuff, like, definitely. Uh, but, I, wanted I mean, I'm thankful for War Media, man, in general. Uh, for uh, all the stuff uh, we get to do and, and also we get to chop up talk about it um but definitely thank for all my friends and family and uh, for all uh all, all you guys as well like you know everyone everyone being healthy and uh and enjoying sports and being able to talk about it baby 
Oh, for sure. And speaking of sports and stuff to talk about, you know, me and Saul had a very interesting conversation on his at bat podcast with Miles Porter that you can check out. We talk about Cubs and Sox biggest offseason needs, manager of the year award race, rookie of the year award race that was captured by Terry Francona in the AL, Buck Showalter in the NL, and in the American League by Julio Rodriguez and Michael Harris in the National League, and many other things. It's all been a big part of what we've been doing. You know, you can catch them on the pre and post game show talking Bears coverage, had Ken Davis on with Joe Tanksley. Man, we got a lot to be thankful for, a lot to be proud for, a lot to be glad about. Um, make sure to check us out. Follow us on our YouTube channel. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. So long. Take yes, care. Yes, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, guys.